I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. Now, as we come towards the end of the year, it's kind of traditional to look back and do a top 10 and bottom 10 films of the year. But, of course, as 2019 turns to 2020, it's the end of a decade. So rather than looking back and doing the top 10 films of the year, I've decided to look back and do the top 10 films of the decade. So, coming up, my favourite 10 films from 2009 to 2019. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook. I run by this old, this old lady. I was running, hollering, cutting a food boy. Evening, Mrs. Peters. Evening, Martin. Lovely day. You luxuriate in his face. I survived! So at number 10, a movie that you might not have seen because it wasn't as widely distributed as it should have been, Under the Shadow, which is a wonderful feature from Babak Anvari. Um, It's kind of a horror movie, but it's also a political film. It's a film about a mother and daughter living under siege. It's all set within this very, very realistic setting, but it also has a supernatural element to it. It's a film which perfectly manages to entwine themes of things that are really scary and things that are imaginatively scary. Now, I didn't know anything about Babak Anvari's filmmaking before I saw Under the Shadow. In fact, I saw the film completely cold, and I was totally knocked out by it. In fact, it was my favourite film of the year that it came out, which was 2016. If you haven't had a chance to see it, please do catch it. Under the Shadow is a real gem, and it's one of those gems that has gone somewhat overlooked by a lot of viewers. So at number nine, a film which won the Oscar for Best Picture. You might be surprised to learn that there are a few Oscar winners in this list. I know that I've always been very sniffy about awards. I've always said that actually awards don't tend to flag up the very best movies. But what's remarkable is that looking down this top ten list, there are several titles that were recognised by the Oscars. I'm a huge Guillermo del Toro fan. I still think that his very best movie is Pan's Labyrinth, which is a a spectacular piece of work. It is also part of a pair of films, Pan's Labyrinth and The Devil's Backbone, both of which occupy a similar space in relation to the political history that they address, but also in terms of their supernatural stories. One of the great things about Guillermo del Toro is that he's a story maker first. He understands the logic of storytelling, particularly when it comes to movies. The Shape of Water was widely described, and I think correctly described, as the creature from the Black Lagoon meets Splash. And although that sounds like an unlikely pairing, somehow Guillermo del Toro makes it work. I had a conversation with him once years ago in which he talked to me about his love of monsters. He said that when he was a kid, he used to imagine that there were monsters under his bed. 
And the only way that he could get to sleep at night was that he had to make friends with the monsters. He had to befriend them. He had to become their ally. The Shape of Water is a film made by somebody who grew up with the knowledge of monsters, but more importantly, grew up with the knowledge of loving monsters. Plus, it has a wonderful sequence in it which refers back to not only silent cinema, but also to musical cinema. It's the kind of movie that you make when you spent your lifetime loving monsters and loving movies. It was one of the very few times, I think, that the Oscars got it completely right. And number nine, The Shape of Water. You think the Russians broke in? I don't think so. And if they did, Wayne's meatloaf will kill them all. It was two shots to you. All right, three. And that scream. Oh, whatever happens in this place? You two, come with me. Right now, Mr. Fleming, sir? Any chance we get to conclude our dinner? No. Oh, heavens to Betsy. We are in a pickle. We are in such a pickle. You will have exactly 20 minutes to render this, this lab immaculate and so on and so forth. 20 minutes. It's a lot of blood. So on to number eight, and at number eight, Raw, which is an extraordinary debut from writer-director Julia DeCorno, who came on the MK3D show when Raw came out in UK cinemas. The best way of describing Raw is to say that it is a coming-of-age movie about a sort of tense relationship between sisters that slowly mutates into something which involves Cronenbergian body horror, humour, heartbreak, and indeed cannibalism. In fact, when the film came out, a lot of people talked about it as being a film about cannibalism, but it's, it's absolutely not. It's a film about the traumas of feeling unloved, of feeling like you don't fit into the world, of worrying about the way in which the rest of the world perceives you, and then suddenly discovering why it is that you feel out of sync. I thought it was absolutely brilliant, and I was delighted to find out that at a very early age, Julia DeCorno had been left in a room by her parents with the television on, She got control of the remote control and she started flicking through the channels and the next thing was she watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She said it was a really profound experience and something which stayed with her for ages and certainly when you're watching Raw, you understand that to be the case. I also said to her, you know, it's funny, I was watching the movie and I was wondering whether you knew Claire Denis' film, Trouble Every Day. And she said, okay, here's the thing. Claire Denis is a French director and Trouble Every Day is a film about cannibalism. Of course I know trouble every day and you should know raw. On to number six and another horror inflected movie, although again I think describing it as solely a horror movie doesn't entirely capture what the film's really about. The Babadook which is a brilliant feature by Jennifer Kent. It has its origins in a short movie, which I advise you to seek out, which is called Monster. It's available on Vimeo and it's really, really well worth checking out. Babadook is a supernatural story, once again grounded absolutely in the real world. It's a film which to some extent owes a debt to the narrative of we need to talk about Kevin. It's about a mother and her child being terrorised by a book which seems to bring an evil spirit into their house. But is there an evil spirit there or is it actually all in the mind of the mother? One of the great things about The Babadook is it's a film that you can read in several different ways. You don't just watch it and come out of it thinking, oh, well, this is what it was about. 
Also, again, if you look back at Monster, it's a film made by somebody who understands their film history. Monster owes a great debt to various forms of animation, also to silent cinema. It's a film which is completely rooted in the traditions of cinema, although it's utterly modern. I remember seeing the film and recommending it to William Friedkin, who was completely bowled over by it. And I think Friedkin ended up introducing a screening of it in America where it needed to get more attention. It got great reviews here in the UK and deservedly so. Jennifer Kent recently made another movie which was very disturbing in a very different way called The Nightingale, which, when it was first played, actually caused a number of walkouts because of its incredibly realistic depiction of violence and particularly sexual violence, although the story itself is a story about imperialism and about the control that is exerted over the two central characters who are trying to assert their own independence. The Nightingale is a much tougher watch and consequently had a much smaller audience. The Babadook works because it talks about real fears but does it in a way that's absolutely using the language of the fairy tale. I think it's a wonderful film. I imagine you've seen it. If you haven't, check it out. You can choose one tonight. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook. If you're a really clever one and you know what it is to see, then you can make friends with a special one, a friend of you and me. (laughs) His name is Mr Babadook. And this is his book. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. Ba-ba-ba-duk-duk-duk. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. Ba-ba-ba-duk-duk-duk. We might read another one tonight, eh? But you said I could choose. Okay, so on to number six. And at six, another Oscar winner, 12 Years a Slave, a brilliant movie by Steve McQueen. Many people remember 12 Years a Slave as being exactly what the title seems to imply, a story that is almost solely about slavery. The great thing about the film is it is so much more than that. Yes, it is a brilliant depiction of slavery, of a historic period that is shameful and terrible, and it doesn't shy away from depicting the horrors and the terrors of that era. But weirdly enough, there is beauty in the film. And it's that beauty that makes the film able to talk to its audience. Look, for example, at the use of song. Look at the way that music that actually comes out of the drama itself is used to tell the story. Look at the way in which the landscapes are filmed, capturing both the beauty and the brutality of the world in which the drama is playing out. And look at the sensitivity of the central portrayals. Look at Chiwetel Ejiofor's face during many of the key scenes in which so much is said without dialogue. It's strange because the subject matter of the film is so in your face. The subject matter of the film is so tough, so unrelenting and so often horrible that somehow to have found beauty in it is the real genius of what Steve McQueen has done. I think that's the key to what makes it a great movie is that it is a film which is a film. It's not just a story. It's a film which understands and celebrates the cinematic medium as a mode of storytelling. And once again, it's one of the cases in which the Oscars did get it right. Stop! Stop your wailing! 
You let yourself be overcome by sorrow, you will drown in it. Have you stopped crying for your children? You make no sounds, but will you ever let them go in your heart? They are as my flesh. Then who is distressed? Do I upset the master and the mistress? Do you care less about my loss than, than their well-being? Master Ford is a decent man. He is a slaver. Under the circumstances. Under the circumstances, he's a slaver. But you truckle at his boot. No. You luxuriate in his face. I survive. I will not fall into despair. I will offer up my talents to Master Ford. I will keep myself hardy till freedom is opportune. Oh, Ford is your opportunity. You think he does not know that you are more than you suggest. But he does nothing for you, nothing. You are no better than prized livestock. Call for him, call, tell him of your previous circumstances and see what it earns you, solemnly. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. On to number five, there would have to be an animation. We've had things like Inside Out and more recently, I Lost My Body. But for me, at number five, The Red Turtle, a wonderful animation by Dutch animator Michael Dudok de Witt. What I love about this film is the fact that it is essentially a silent movie with sound. It's a strange lyrical story about somebody who is washed up on an island that they don't understand. They find themselves abandoned. They find themselves completely alone. There is an encounter with a red turtle that leads to an act of cruelty and then to an act of salvation, which weirdly enough then produces a kind of whole new rebirth. Now, none of this is told through dialogue. There are voices, but the voices aren't used for words. They're just used for cries. The story is all told through action and through music, and it is a fantastic score. It's one of those scores that you can listen to over and over and over again. The first time I saw Red Turtle, I didn't know much about it at all. What I knew was that it was an international co-production in which Studio Ghibli had been involved, and I believed that they had pretty much wrapped up production at that point. So it was a real surprise that the film even existed. It seemed to be made pretty much under the wire. But it's breathtakingly enchanting. And it's very grown up, and yet it has a kind of universality to it. It blends the traditions of hand-drawn animation with the possibilities that electronics have made available. In fact, one of the things that Michael Dr. Vid is doing is literally drawing with an electronic pencil. When I interviewed him on stage at the MK3D shows, and incidentally, if you want to come along to one of those, then go to the BFI box office, he presented me with a drawing that he'd made of the Red Turtle, which now takes pride of place in my office. 
I'm sure you've seen The Red Turtle, but it's such a magical experience that you can watch it over and over and over again. In fact, I think I'm going to go home tonight and watch The Red Turtle. It's so timeless, so beautiful, and the score is so wonderful. At number four, a movie by Celine Sirma, who recently won an award at Cannes for Best Screenplay for her new movie, Portrait of a Girl on Fire. In France, the film was called Bon de Fille. In the UK, it was called Girlhood. The British title seems to tie the movie to boyhood. And actually, I think it was chosen specifically because of that illusion. But Girlhood tells a story of girls in the hood, of young women growing up in the banlieue of Paris, finding their own identity. It centres on a central character who, during the course of the narrative, adopts a number of different identities and, indeed, a number of different names. What makes the film remarkable is just how much affection Celine CMR has for these central characters. In fact, she got herself into trouble when the film first came out by saying that the girls in this film, they are modern women, a message that some people found bizarrely aggressive. The great thing about Girlhood, I think, is that everybody can watch it and everybody can associate with it. I mean, clearly it's set in a world about which I personally know nothing at all. But watching the movie, I felt like I was a real part of that gang and I understood what was happening to these characters, no matter what the language they were speaking, no matter the world that they lived in, gender, racial boundaries, none of that stuff mattered because the film has a real universality. And that universality comes out of the fact that Celine CMR genuinely loves, cares for and understands her characters. Also, Girlhood features one of the greatest uses of a pop song in movies that I can think of in recent years. There's a brilliant sequence in which the girls, having recently stolen dresses from a local store, dance around to the sound of Rihanna's diamond in a hotel room. It's a great sequence, and when we first started the MK3D live shows, I think we finished one of the first shows with that sequence in its entirety, and it went down an absolute treat. Girlhood is a great film, and I'm really looking forward to seeing Portrait of a Girl on Fire. Into the top three now, and it was really, really hard to choose between these movies. I know that lists are always kind of silly, and in the end you make them and then you worry about the order, so just bear with me. I think, to be honest, the top three movies could have happened in any order at all. But let's do this, and I'll just live with it for the moment. So, at number three, Barry Jenkins' Moonlight. When Moonlight came out, I was completely knocked out by it, but I thought when I first saw it, that it was a little independent film that perhaps wasn't going to have universal appeal. Not because it wasn't a film made with universal appeal, but because it was the kind of thing that looked like a niche marketing opportunity. Moonlight, of course, famously went on to beat La La Land to the Oscar for Best Picture. Although, as you probably remember, there was a bit of a mix-up with the envelopes and nobody was entirely sure who had won. Moonlight, again, manages that incredible thing about being universal by being specific. It tells the story of a central character in three separate chapters, and during those chapters, the character undergoes transformations and indeed name changes. But by being really specific about the details of the character's life, about the individual things that are happening to them, it somehow develops a universality that means that we can believe that those things are happening to all of us. 
I do genuinely think that the real magic of cinema is that it can take experiences that we could never have and make them feel personal to us. The other thing about Moonlight is, once again, it features a fantastic use of music, whether it's the score itself by Nicholas Brittell or the chopped and screwed soundtrack, which offers the perfect pop accompaniment to what's going on emotionally in the film. There is a scene in a diner in which we hear Hello Stranger by Barbara Lewis played on the jukebox. It's a very specific choice. In fact, a central character walks over to the jukebox to put exactly that song on. It reminded me of the jukebox soundtrack of American Graffiti, a film with which Moonlight appears to have very little in common. But in fact, they both share something at their heart, which is that they understand that the songs can provide a counterpoint, a Greek choric accompaniment to the action. They can do it in a way which is beautiful and emotional and involving. Moonlight is a really wonderful film, and it's amazing that it found the audience that it did. But the reason it managed that is because it is a film designed for everybody. I've been here a long time. I'm from Cuba. A lot of black folks in Cuba. You wouldn't know that from being here, though. I was a wild little shorty, man. Just like you. Running around with no shoes on, the moon was out. This one time, I run by this old, this old lady. I was running, hollering. Cutting a food, boy. This old lady, she stopped me. She said, Running around, catching a boy that light. In moonlight, black boys look blue. You blue. That's why I go call you. Blue. Into the top two now, and at number two, we need to talk about Kevin, a brilliant adaptation of a very complex novel directed by Lynn Ramsey. Now, Lynn Ramsey is one of my favourite filmmakers, not least because she's completely uncompromising. If you look at her filmography, there are great gaps between certain movies because the projects that she wanted to do didn't come to fruition. Her debut feature, Rat Catcher, caught the attention of critics everywhere. The follow-up, Morvan Caller, which is a brilliant literary adaptation, didn't manage to find the audience it deserved, although now I think it's generally regarded as an overlooked masterpiece. But there was a huge gap before Lynn Ramsey managed to make We Need to Talk About Kevin. During some of that gap, she was working on an adaptation of Lovely Bones, which ended up being made by Peter Jackson. More's the pity. The Peter Jackson version, of course, used a bunch of CG and ended up looking like some weird afterworld Super Mario game. But we need to talk about Kevin again, as with Babadook, is a film about a parent and a child, and a film which asks how much of what is going on is happening with the child and how much of it is happening in the mind of the parent. It features an absolutely brilliant performance by Tilda Swinton, who is terrific as the troubled mother at the centre of the story. Again, it has a brilliant use of pop music on the soundtrack, many of them apparently very left-field choices, but all derived from the fact that Ramsey has read interrogated and understood the book. The film has a split structure narrative before and after a terrible event at which we only arrive at the very, very end of the movie. And yet all the way through the movie, there is a sense of dread, but also a sense of ambiguity. How much of this is really happening? How much of this is imagined? And how much of this is the projection of the central character? We Need to Talk About Kevin is one of those films that genuinely announced itself as the work of a genius director. 
And I think Lynn Ramsey is exactly that. She's gone on to direct You Were Never Really Here, featuring a standout performance by Joaquin Phoenix, without which I believe you'd never have got that brilliant performance that he gives in Joker. At number two, we need to talk about Kevin. Good afternoon, ma'am. I hope this isn't an inconvenient time. Well, it is, actually. Well, we just had a couple of quick questions for you. What's this about? Do you know where you're spending the afterlife? Oh, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. I'm going straight to hell. Eternal damnation, a whole bit. Thank you for asking. Okay? All of which brings me to my favourite film of the last 10 years. And as I said at the beginning, this is all to do with my favourite film of the last 10 years, as I feel about it right now. But hey, I'm going to be bold and say that I think the most exciting film that's been made in the last 10 years is Bait, a genuinely authentic Cornish tale from filmmaker Mark Jenkin. Mark Jenkin first showed up on my radar with shorts like Bronco's House, which was a film which addressed the housing crisis in Cornwall. Mark had started experimenting with 16mm black and white film, shooting his film silently and then post-syncing the sound afterwards. I remember him saying that he was going to use this process to make a feature film, and I thought he was completely crazy. He could just about get away with it in a short, although Bronco's House is about 45 minutes long. I thought he'd never get away with it for a feature. And yet Bate manages to do it. It manages to take this very peculiar artistic form, 16mm, black and white film, shot silently, all post-synced, all post-dubbed, everything else put on afterwards, and somehow it works. Why? Well, because the culture clash that is depicted in the film between the old traditions of the village in which it's set and the new practices being brought in by the incomers are reflected in the form of the film itself. Within the form of bait, we see pretty much a history of cinema, from silent film to sound film. It's not a gimmick. It's something that is completely textually built into the story and the fabric of the film itself. It was interesting to discover that Mark Jenkin had turned back to celluloid, having made some projects on video, and discovered that somehow he'd lost his love of cinema. He refound that love of cinema through the physical tactility of celluloid. And I think that really, really shines through bait. And for that reason, I'm choosing it as my favourite film of the last 10 years, because it is the most cinematic film of the last 10 years. Evening, Mrs. Peters. Evening, Martin. Lovely day. All inside us bound in jail Got no money for their pain You keep your eyes on the prize And you roll right on You what on? Nothing much Get him money? Not enough why don't you just go back working with Stephen for a bit? I got bloody principles. I'm going to have to ask you again not to leave your truck outside. What are you doing, Martin? It's between me and the clamping company. You didn't have to sell us this house, didn't we? So there we go, my top 10 films of the last 10 years. To run them down at number 10, Under the Shadow, number 9, The Shape of Water, at 8, Raw, at 7, The Babadook, at 6, 12 Years a Slave, 5, The Red Turtle, 4, Girlhood, 3, Moonlight, 2, We Need to Talk About Kevin, and at number 1, Bait. 
Now, I'm sure some of those you'll agree with, many of them you won't, and you'll have your own choices. So why don't you let me know? You can get in touch with me by tweeting at Kermode Movie. Let me know what you think I should have included and what you think I should have left out. Thanks for downloading the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, then remember to subscribe. And if you'd like a version of this podcast without adverts and with some exclusive video extras, then why not visit our Patreon page? Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Keep watching the skies. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.